Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest lecture. This is going to be a three-parter on the evaluation of gastric malignancies with pearls and pitfalls. Now, we always speak about the importance of protocols, but surely in the stomach, it really is super critical. We all know if you don't distend the stomach, there's no way you can evaluate the stomach. And it's one of the challenges we have these days, particularly in the ER setting. And we're going to speak about the protocols. We also note with newer techniques like cinematic rendering, if you could distend the stomach well, it's amazing the details you can get in terms of being able to look at the gastric folds. Whether it's distended with water or air, the key is distension. Take a look, you can see the red is water. Look down the gastric antrum. If I did have a choice, I would use air as the main distension. Water tends to get in the way a bit, though you can subtract it out very nicely. But air distension, of course, is really ideal. Look at the kind of details you can get, whether it's gastric polyps or a gastric duplication cyst, whether it's showing the thickened folds in this patient with chemical gastritis, whether it's showing this two centimeter gist tumor off the greater curvature, or an infiltrating gist tumor, or multiple carcinoid tumors, or gastric adenocarcinoma, or linitis plastica showing you the difference between the mucosa and submucosa, or whether it's the large masses in the stomach in this patient with renal cell carcinoma. These are the things we could see, and we have published a couple years ago an article on this. But that's only part of what we could do. When I think about the stomach, I always make the point that everything relates to distension, opacification, display, and enhancement pattern. That indeed is the key to what we do. Now, in terms of a normal stomach, it means the wall thickness typically was 7 to 10 millimeters, but the fact is, in my opinion, it's typically under 3 to 5 millimeters. And again, without good distension, you're either going to overcall or undercall pathology. Whether you use positive contrast in this case, which very nicely shows you the normal gastric wall, so that when you look at this case, you can see the infiltration in the antrum. Or you use water in this ER patient with abdominal pain, we're able to pick up an unsuspected infiltrating gastric cancer, calcifications, mucinous adenocarcinoma. If the stomach wasn't distended with fluid, you would never be able to appreciate the tumor infiltration. Perhaps you might have, but you might have been hedging, and I see all the time people just don't report the stomach. When you look at areas of difficulty in the stomach, it's always been the fundus, where you can overcall pathology, or in the antrum. We talk about the wall big three millimeters to five millimeters thick. In the antrum, Perry Pickard wrote this article a long time ago, and it's true. It can be up to 12 millimeters or so and still be normal, but typically what happens then is you have symmetry and normal enhancement of the antrum. So that indeed becomes very important. There's another article by June Aganti a number of years later, which basically makes the same point. And here's just a good example. Is this a thickened antrum? When you look at it, the coronal views and coronals and oblikes can be very helpful. You can see how the antrum looks relatively thickened to the rest of the stomach, but it's homogeneous in enhancement and it's diffusely the same size all around. And here's just a few more reconstructed views. Again, this is going to be a normal antrum. If it was abnormal, 
Like this case, you see the differential enhancement between portions of the antrum. You see the atrium asymmetric thickening. And this is an adenocarcinoma of the gastric antrum. You're not going to confuse this with normal. So the things we look at are changes in enhancement, asymmetry, and possible ulceration. And again, when you go to the coronal view, it becomes very, very obvious that you're dealing with an infiltrating tumor. And unfortunately, in this patient, what you have is evidence of a liver metastasis as well. And here it is again, just very nicely showing you that infiltration. Now, one of the things I always look at is I look at the stomach for fluid or food. Now, yes, you could have just eaten. And yes, we do distend the stomach. We give 1,000 cc's of water. But when you start seeing a lot of mottled food matter, you have to worry about either delayed gastric motility or obstruction. And when you see this, I look carefully, look at the antrum. You can see the infiltration, asymmetric wall thickening, asymmetric enhancement, and this was an adenocarcinoma. Now, sometimes you're going to have to work at it. Here you can see I've done some sagittal views, some oblique views, but it shows very nicely the infiltration and the cancer. If you ask me what's the best way of looking at the stomach, the key thing, of course, is distension. These days, I do tend to favor water, but positive contrast works very nicely. IV contrast is critical. 100 or so cc's of Omni 350 ejected at 4 to 5 cc's a second. You know from past lectures, we prefer 5 cc's. In most cases of the stomach, we will do venous phase only, but in cases where we're staging tumor or suspected tumor, then dual phase imaging can indeed be very valuable. Now, I mentioned water is a good contrast agent. When would water not be a good contrast agent? Are there some situations? Well, if you're looking for a fistula, image on your left shows some thickening between the stomach and the colon. But when you look at the positive contrast, you can see the gastrocolic fistula very nicely. And we know this anytime we're looking for a fistula, whether it's colon to bowel or colon to vagina or colon to colon or small bowel to colon, positive contrast is the ideal agent for defining fistulae. And we talk about that also when we look at ulcerations. Now I mentioned we typically will do a single phase when we look at the stomach. That's most of the ER situation. But with dual phase imaging, uh, you can get a lot of additional information. And so when you're worrying about suspected neoplasm, I would recommend on that initial study surely to do dual phase imaging. If you think about adenocarcinoma specifically, the venous phase is best for detecting liver metastasis. It's also helpful for distinguishing nodes from vascular structures. An arterial phase may be too early to appreciate subtle changes in the mucosa-submucosa enhancement pattern. And here's just a good example. It's early, good bolus on the left. But when you want to look at the changes between mucosa and submucosa in this infiltrating tumor, it's best seen on the venous phase imaging. And here's a few more images that show that. So again, the importance of timing in terms of detecting the changes in mucosa and submucosa infiltration. Now, many patients with gastric cancer also have cirrhosis. Now, what's very important in cirrhotic patients in general is they get varices, and the varices can simulate nodes or even simulate masses. This patient was referred initially in for a gastric fundus tumor, and you look carefully, and you see you're really dealing with varices. So when you have cirrhosis, you need to look carefully at the venous phase imaging. 
You have dual phase, it works out perfectly, but if you only have arterial phase, let's say you were looking for hepatoma, we always say do dual phase because you can be fooled. Varices can simulate masses, they can simulate adenopathy. Here it's very clear we're dealing with large varices and nothing else. So a very important thing to uh, remember. Now when we speak about different tumors, and I'm going to go through a number of them, let's start with gastric adenocarcinoma. 650,000 deaths worldwide each year. The incidence has decreased in the U.S. over the past six decades. It's rare before age 40. And unfortunately, most patients will have advanced disease at presentation. There are certain risk factors, pernicious anemia. H. pylori is very common, up to six times more frequent uh, in patients with gastric adenocarcinoma, Menetrier's disease, post-stump resection uh, cancers, which are pretty uncommon. We talk about syndromes associated with gastric cancer, from hereditary diffuse gastric cancer, to Lynch syndrome, to juvenile polyposis, to Puch-Jaeger's, to familial adenomatous polyposis. Now, I don't want to go through these in great detail, but just to make the point, when you have a process like Puch-Jaeger's syndrome, individuals have a 29% lifetime risk of developing gastric cancer. So when you're looking at the polyps, you want to look very carefully also at the stomach. A very, very important thing to remember. Now, when we look at gastric adenocarcinoma, the distribution is fairly symmetric throughout the stomach, and about 10% of cases are diffuse infiltration, kind of what we think about as linitis plastic appearance. Our accuracy in staging depends on the study protocols, and study interpretation. Things we need to consider, detection and definition of the primary tumor, local spread of disease, as well as distant spread of disease. Now when you think about it, the patient with gastric adenocarcinoma can have a various range of appearances. It really depends on how early you pick up the tumor. The earliest sign may be focal thickening, maybe a polypoid lesion. You then can see diffuse thickening with or without lobulations, then a bulky tumor with or without ulcerations, and then, of course, diffuse infiltration. When we look at staging, it's ideal to be able to pick patients up at the earliest stage. That really requires very careful attention to technique, particularly in the ER setting in patients with abdominal pain. T3 and T4, T4 being unresectable, are easier to pick up, but again, it's that challenge of picking up early gastric cancer. Now, people look at ways, how can you be certain? Well, if you say gastric wall thickness of a centimeter greater, well, then it had a sensitivity of 100%, but a low specificity in this article by Insco. It's an old article, but it still makes the point. If you see thickening that was focal and eccentric and enhancing, then it's always, always going to be a malignant tumor. Unfortunately, that's a small percent of cases. So in this example, you can see very nicely in the antrum, superiorly, that infiltrating tumor, very nicely shown on both the 2D and 3D display. You can see in this case the infiltration by the gastric uh, fundus. Now, I made the point that in the fundus, you can overcall or undercall things. Here was the question, is this real or is this lack of distension? Well, the stomach's well distended. You also can see the patient has calcification here. That means a mucinous adenocarcinoma. When you look at the coronal views, particularly on 3D, it's really easy to recognize you're dealing with an infiltrating process. 
There's no mistake here. This is not going to be lack of distension. Now, one of the challenges with gastric cancer is the fact that the nodes can be small and positive. We typically like to say a node over 15 millimeters is positive, but with gastric cancer, you need to be looking at nodes well under a sonometer. You also look at the location of nodes, the number of nodes, and their attenuation. This article by Sato speaks about looking at different size criteria for different nodes in specific areas. And you can see how it broke it down to many different areas. The key thing for us to remember, if you're looking at nodes in gastric cancer, depending on who you believe, it's either six millimeters or eight millimeters as a size criteria. So you can't be using 15 millimeters. I typically would say eight millimeters or greater in short axis is considered to be involvement, okay? That becomes very, very important. Now, sometimes it's easy. In this patient with an infiltrating gastric cancer, there's large nodes in the celiac axis which are infiltrating and encasing the patient's celiac axis. That's really easy. This was an interesting case. You can see a large mass in the stomach. This patient actually presented initially with a pancreatic mass or a suspected pancreatic mass. And what you really are dealing with here is a patient with portal cable nodes. That's what you're dealing with. And it was really only when we did the study with good distension, which we do, we found the gastric mass. So it went from pancreatic cancer to a gastric cancer. And you can see in that same patient, besides the portal cable nodes, the large aortocaval nodes, and the large left periodic nodes. One thing to comment on, we typically would say when there's bulky adenopathy, you think about lymphoma, also, when nodes extend beneath the renal hilum, you think more about lymphoma than you think about adenocarcinoma. But this is a great example showing you how large and bulky gastric adenocarcinoma can be, and it does make the point that you don't need to see small nodes. In terms of looking at images, I've shown you some 3D and multiplanar. This article by Kim made the point that multiplanar is very helpful in defining extent of disease and in determining resectability. It's especially true with more extensive tumors. Here's a patient, not very tricky, large bulky gastric mass, liver metastasis, ascites. And when you track this downward, you can see the tumor is implanted on the omentum and the mesentery. And the tumor also grows down the gastrocolic ligament. So this would make the patient obviously unresectable, as would the liver mets, of course. But you can see the coronal views are much better at showing spread of disease. It makes it much easier to look at the gastrocolic spread. Now, in terms of liver metastasis, the liver mets with gastric adenocarcinoma are typically hypovascular. These are large metastasis. You can see the patient's infiltrating tumor. You also can see the adenopathy. We also look for carcinomatosis. Gastric adenocarcinoma classically will give carcinomatosis. You can see the nodularity on the omentum and in the mesentery in this case. You can see it really nicely showing you the infiltration in the gastric antrum and the patient's spread of disease very nicely shown here. Another example, infiltrating tumor, gastric antrum, ascites, nodularity, and carcinomatosis. Again, we look very carefully at the omentum. We look very carefully at the mesentery. It's one thing to see ascites, that's always concerning, but this beating and this nodularity, that really is carcinomatosis. There's no mistake about that. 
Here's a good example, another case of infiltration of the body and antrum of the stomach, very classic carcinoma. You can see the nodularity along the region of the gastrocolic ligament, very nicely shown, showing you the patient's spread of disease. So again, when you're looking at a gastric cancer, the importance of looking carefully, here's that same patient with cinematic, showing you the infiltration both on the gastrocolic ligament as well as in the stomach. Here's another example in terms of spread. At first glance, the image on your left looks something more like a pancreatic tail lesion, then you realize it's coming off the fundus of the stomach posteriorly. Now, sometimes it's hard. Remember, pancreatic cancer can invade the stomach, but when you start looking at all the images, you recognize there's an ulceration here. There's the tumor growing out. This was an adenocarcinoma. Perhaps you might have thought about a gist tumor as well, but just very nicely also showing you the spread to the patient's colon. So with gastric adenocarcinomas, when you have ulcerations, when the tumors grow large, local invasion of stomach, perhaps colon, and even spleen can occur. And you can see just some examples of why the coronal view is particularly helpful in showing the extent of disease. And here's some 3D imaging which shows it very nicely as well. Now, in terms of spread of disease, you also get metastasis to the ovary. That's a so-called Krukenberg tumor. It can be one ovary or both ovary. It's very common in patients with ascites as well. This article from last year by Zulfiger, not all ovarian metastasis are Krukenberg tumors. Krukenberg tumors are the most common subtypes of ovarian mets. They're characterized by signet ring features. Common tumor sites include the stomach or colon. So again, it can be difficult to distinguish between a primary ovarian cancer with carcinomatosis, which might involve the stomach, and a primary gastric cancer, which involves the ovary. So at times, it can be very tricky. Approximately 10% of ovarian tumors are metastasis. 50% of these are Krukenberg tumors. Nearly 80% of Krukenbergs are bilateral. That's something indeed to remember. And of course, patients with Krukenberg tumors have very poor survival because these patients typically will have mets not only to the ovary, which is a problem, but to the omentum and the mesentery and nodes, and very commonly the liver. If you ask me about pitfalls, I've mentioned some of those. The importance of detecting small lesions, which can be tricky, difficulty in determining depth of invasion, and also the problem with nodal size. Now, certain little pitfalls. This patient has an infiltrating process and there's fluid and there's a perforation here. Now, this could be an ulcer, but it's thickened. I mean, it is an ulcer. It doesn't necessarily mean an ulcer with cancer, but with this fold thickening, I worry about cancer. It was cancer. Now, when you have a perforation from an ulcer, you want to be careful because it makes it look like carcinomatosis. This patient did not have spread but it very much looks like spread into the perigastric fat. So patients who have ulcerations, you want to be careful that you don't overcall the extent of disease. In this case, very nicely with the multiple 3D and coronal views, nicely shows you the spread of the tumor and nicely shows you the ulceration. Just a very, very important thing to think about. And we are seeing more cases like that. Another patient in the antrum, you can see the air bubbles from the ulceration. You see the stranding here. Again, I'm thinking about carcinomatosis, but when I see an ulcer, I'll say they're stranding. 
and I'll wonder if it's tumor spread, but more likely I'll say perhaps it's related to the perforation. You also can see stranding by the stomach and worry about spread in patients post-biopsy. So you need to be very careful in that regard as well. So just a very important pitfall and something you need to be aware of. And just very nicely showing you some additional images in this patient. Now, gastric adenocarcinoma, there's a differential diagnosis. But that's a good segue into our part two of this talk. So let's take a moment break and then let's come back and we'll pick it up here. See you in a moment. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website ctss.com for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.